going to start with a bit of poetry. Perhaps it's not even poetry. Maybe you know where this is from. Yield and overcome. Bend and be straight. Empty and be full. Wear out and be new. Have little and gain. Have much and be confused. Therefore, wise men embrace the one and set an example to all. Not putting on a display, they shine forth. Not justifying themselves, they are distinguished. Not boasting, they receive recognition. Not bragging, they never falter. They do not quarrel, so no one quarrels with them. Therefore, the ancients say, yield and overcome. Is that an empty saying? Be really whole and all things will come to you. That's nice. That's beautiful. You want to guess? Well, I don't know. I know you're working on Spinoza, but it doesn't really sound Spinozistic. Is no, it Spinoza? No. Oh, the Tao Te Ching. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like, I don't know. It sounded familiar in some way. So kind of interesting. But uh, but I read that years ago at this point. But yeah. that's nice. Have you been uh, reading that or rereading that? Yeah, I read it all the time. It's at my uh, my living room. So, and there's nice illustrations in this edition. Mm. I have an ancient bookshop close by. At least there's an ancient section. It's pretty epic. Mm. So sometimes I pick up books like Upanishads, Tao Te Ching, or like uh, ancient Greek stuff or Egyptian. It's cool. Nice, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I. Uh... I did take a course on Buddhism recently, but we've mostly talked about actually Confucianism. Um, but it's and so we discussed the Analects by Confucius. What is that? Here. Yeah, that that's 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 the 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 main book of Confucian teachings, and Confucianism is also uh, centered around virtue ethics, but it's a more like let's say a role based virtue ethics compared to let's say a character based. Uh, virtue ethics in Aristotle one of the Greek tradition um, but I'm, that was basically just to point out that I've been uh, it's been a while since I've actually gotten into other uh, eastern ways of thinking and I'd actually like to get back into it <laughs> so you, uh, you yeah. like eastern ways of thinking I do yeah I mean it is I've always uh, I, I, I started realizing that it's I think it's tricky that to um, get into it. Yeah, I don't know, without knowing how to, if that makes sense, because like, you know, like, you know, all these issues, right? Etymology, cultural sort of connotations and associations. And it makes it very difficult to say like, ah, this is probably what this means. But nonetheless, like your mind will tend to do that, do that a little bit. Uh, and I think therefore, for me, for instance, and I've been bringing this book up a bunch of times, but that's why uh, Kei Nishitani's uh, Religion and Nothingness was so helpful because he was he was speaking my language, let's say, you know, like he mm. was, he dealt with the Western tradition and precisely by dealing with it, I could find out what that he was introducing was other than it. And then I was like, ah, that's really where sort of the Eastern thinking starts because the risk can be that you see the Eastern thinking, but without being aware of it, you project lots of, you know, your Western background onto it, which I'm not saying everyone does. I'm just saying that I, I noticed that being a risk in, in myself, you know. Of course. 
Yeah. And, and and why why did you start with that? Like what was the impetus? Well, Stefan proposed that it's good to start with poetry to trigger discussion. Hmm. Then yesterday I had a talk with Scott who proposed something similar, like a show and tell. Yeah. Because we started our discussion yesterday with the picture that he made. So mm-hmm. I really That's like nice. that. It's fun, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it, it's it's very uh like there's lots of like connotations that can arise in a very good way. Uh, more so than probably with a straightforward text, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. True, true. so this text, I was just going through the Tao Te Ching and I saw this one and I like it a lot because it's about um, yielding. And I like this idea of submission. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean that you yield to everyone or that you go through life in a submissive manner, but that you submit yourself to something above you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like that. Yeah, no, it's great. Yeah. I was thinking about a long time ago when I was getting into all this type of stuff, Eastern stuff, I was telling my family that I could see myself going there to the East and becoming like a monk or something. And then I remember you quite passionately telling me like, well, you don't want to go to a monastery in Europe, but you do want to go to a monastery in an Eastern country. That's probably just because you think it's more exotic or something. And it's, yeah. And it's, that doesn't mean it's, there's no rich culture here. And I think that's something we do a lot of. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I'll give you an opportunity to elaborate a bit on that. And then my thinking about it has evolved a bit recently because I do see that there is a depth perhaps or a different type of quality there that we don't have here and same vice versa. Mm-hmm. So why don't, why don't you tell us a bit about that? Well, first of all, like what, what first came to mind um when you said that, like I recently went through um, a text by Emmanuel Levinas again. He's a Lithuanian thinker, and he um, he is really famous for trying to center philosophy on the other, so not on the self, but on the other. He also says uh, ethics is first philosophy. So it's not like you first have a philosophical system and then ethics comes next. He says like you know it starts off with that phenomenological experience of the other. Uh, and he says, um, he says that that in some ways that Western philosophy, the fault it has made, and I mean like this little bit of a totalistic claim, ironically, but he says that um, it tries to integrate everything, and this uh, can be for better or worse. But let's say, in the worst aspect, it's like you only, like it's literally like you know you only understand things in a way that become relevant to you in a certain way. And the Western tradition has tended to do this when they've like, when they've encountered something is try to make it turn it into, into the same, the principle of the same. Uh, And he says that can be dangerous. And actually like, like for him, it's also, it's a, it's a profoundly religious question as well. So like he, he often speaks, he's a very religious, uh, Jewish religious individual. And he speaks of the importance of like, you know, 
we do the same to God in some ways. Like we talk about God as something, you know, like, oh, you know, God is this or God is that. And, and it's still trying to like import God into whatever framework we have sort of to talk about God. And he's like, no, God is like the absolute other. And, and we should not even strive to integrate it into, let's say, our uh, internally consistent system or something like that. So that that's the first thing that I was reminded of when you mentioned that, because that's a risk indeed of like, oh, you know, like I that you already have an intuition that is actually quite Western in some ways. And then you're and that might indeed be the exoticism that you kind of you like the aspect of a culture that is different from you but not in a way like, you know, like, oh, because like the profound other, you want to keep it the profound other, but because you like the way you have, like, like that, that, that it appeals to you sort of in your own centrality. I'm not sure yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and that's the problem with exoticism. And, and it's the same, by the way, with, with tourism, you know, like we like to, it's like voyeurist, voyeuristic and it's, um, like we like to spend time somewhere, but not really to to have it make a demand on us, you know? It's only like so we can make a demand on it. And that's like the strange thing about exoticism. It's just to see like, oh, you know, how can we, you know, manipulate it and as a product? And that's obviously why it's often tied to, let's say, uh, a colonial or a post-colonial or decolonial criticism of the West, which I understand um, where I understand where that's coming from. And there's something to be said for, like, if you go to the place themselves and genuinely become part of this, I mean, uh, you probably, probably listened to the, the conversation between Jordan Hall and, uh, what is it? Daniel Townsend, I think, um, like that. He also mentioned that he actually like, you know, he went places <laughs> and I mean, like he has the resource to do so, but that he actually went to Hawaii and actively live with them to actually genuinely attempt to integrate. And then he found he, he couldn't do so, but that's, but that's better than, you know, like trying to do it from your own presuppositions. Mm -hmm. I do think I've become a little bit milder in that sense. Like, I think I, like, I think I was a little bit extreme in that sense, but I'm just trying to contextualize where that statement came from. Yeah. I think you're also trying to get me to realize something. Yeah, exactly. Like, and I did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it yeah. had a powerful effect on me because it was like, oh, wait. Mm -hmm. Actually, this is kind of like exactly what you say. Hmm. Like I'm overvaluing something just because it's somewhere else, hmm. because it's something else than what I know. I do think there's some value in that for some people because it can be a stepping stone or it can be a realization that mm -hmm. there is actually value in spiritual traditions. Hmm. Um I think for a lot of atheists, that's the way back or the way to. Mm. Like Sam Harris yeah. is obsessed with meditation right now. Yeah. It's that's not a coincidence. You'd kind of have to also like, and like I, I, I hate being a utilitarian or a con consequentialist, but nonetheless, so take that with a grain of salt. But uh, it it's interesting to look at the effects also, you know, like so... Um, if people go through these types of experiences, what are they like afterwards, you know? And then often they tend to just go back to similar patterns in some yeah. ways. Like you don't experience something different. 
or like maybe it's like very temporary because that's like you're usually still... what I hear. It's like, oh, yeah. it lasted uh, a week or two. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then like, and that's super nice. I guess, and that's that's by the way, uh, like for me, this really related to this, even though it is uh, not about a spiritual experience, but. Agnes Kellard, uh, she's a philosopher who's often brought up also by John Fervake. She's great. She's fantastic. I could really recommend her stuff. But uh, she also wrote a great piece uh, against travel. Uh, I think I, I might have shared it with you at the I time. I believe so. Yeah. I mean, like, obviously, like, it's that's a similar thing where it's like she's challenging, but obviously, it's like, a hot it's, take. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a hot take, like, in the same way that, that you mentioned that what I said might have been a hot take. But, like, her point more, more or less is like, you know, it doesn't actually. Like we, especially like she's in a, in an American context, it can be like the travel is like this cool thing, you know, it's like, oh, you go somewhere, you take pictures and it's like, wow, that's so cool. And it's almost like we admire people for it. Like, whoa, you went to like, I don't know, to uh, what is it like Brazil or, or or Vietnam or Indonesia. Wow, that's so cool. Like as, as if we were admiring them. And she's kind of pointing out like, should we really like it's just an open question because they don't really seem to change. Like they go there and then they come back and then they're still the same people, you know, like it, it's, it's not clear that it's actually something, you know, where it has a, yeah, I don't know, a transforming experience for them. Not really. Like they might experience it as transforming, but when, when they come back, if you had asked other people, it's not Usually clear. Usually they the have case. a necklace or something. Yeah. Well, exactly. Yeah. It's like, I, I remember like there used to be, um, there used to be this meme of like, you know, this starter pack, like that there was like the yoga pants and then there was like, uh, like it was like kind of these, these hipster colors. And then it's like the starter pack for someone who went to India, touched a drugged, <laughs> a drugged out tiger and said it was a transforming experience. Kind of like to show like there is like a, a stereotype of like, okay, it's, it sounds very meaningful maybe to you, but actually if you look at it, like there's, first of all, there's so much manipulation going on because the tiger was dragged out, you know, like it's just a, uh, it's just, just a joke in that sense. But also, yeah, I don't know. Like it, I, I, I think we, I think it kind of shows that we, uh, we, we just like to like traveling also. And again, I, I also travel, so I'm not principally against it but it is kind of like you know it's it's fun and and it's some i think it's also a way of blowing off steam and just as you mentioned i think it can be very useful like you know some people take a gap here in which they do transform in some ways and that can or or not just transform it can also be part of their development or they learn a new language you know like and and that's that's a different story but you know if you just go somewhere is it really something that you should be like wow that's so cool that's great of you to do that but it depends again on the circumstances. Yeah. Um, Where do you think this uh, idea comes from that experience is something to be admired? We see it, of course, a lot with um, psychedelic experiences and travel experiences. Hmm. Where it's almost that it's all about that. Yeah. Most important thing. Where, where does that come from? <laughs> I don't know. I, but, but I would say like the best take that I have on that would be something that experience is um and, the, and our culture like is really demonstrating this experience is the last thing that cannot be denied you know it's like it's kind of like you know we all have objective truth so we can all agree on some objective stuff but even that is obviously called into question but you know like we all agree that it's like the weather was this today and you know there's so many people living in the netherlands at the moment but that's all kind of boring and it doesn't really matter for sort of you know 
how you experience your life again. And then like the opposite is like, you know, okay, but how does it feel just for you? Like, and, and what is just going on for you? And that I'm not saying that's not important. I'm just saying there seems to be this extreme juxtaposition where it's like your truth and objective truth, but there's not really something in between. It's very difficult to find, for instance, a shared truth among people that doesn't really fit into, let's say, objective measurable criteria, um, but also isn't just a subjective truth. It's kind of like this shared thing. Like we find that very difficult to deal with nowadays, like as a culture, you know, like it's either this or that. And the nice thing about experience is that people can just say like, well, okay, but that's, you know, that's, that's my opinion or that that's my experience. And that's like, you know, you can't deny that because it's not saying like, Hey, this is fact for you too. No. So just saying like, I had this great experience and that's sort of all that matters. And yeah, part of that has, is related definitely to sort of like the whole history of philosophy where, uh, and like, I think like Prevecki also makes a big deal out of this, right? Like that at some point at the start of modern philosophy, we have with Descartes, he really gets it. Like he gets the starting point of modern philosophy in personal experience, right? Like he does his personal meditations from which he concludes, you know, like I think there, therefore I am, which is the Archimedean point of certainty on which he can base all other knowledge. knowledge. Uh, and then we have the same more or less in Luther, right? It's, it's not about something mediated through institutions. It's about your personal encounter with God. And again, like there's wonderful things to be said for both of these takes. It's just that they've, gotten on steroids at some point you know like it's mm -hmm. like because because that's such a fundamental thing now and then you also get this idea like oh i think something we mentioned before you know like in in descartes that uh he looks he looks at the objective world that's kind of what wolfgang smith talks about as the cartesian bifurcation as like okay well we have the the physicist's world, you know, that's measurable. That's that's the objective world, and then we have, let's say, you know, I think he calls the corporeal world. I think, um, but it's more or less the world yeah. of 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 qualia, right? Like of yeah. colors and and sounds, and like they are your subjective experience, and that's kind of so you already see this change. It's like, well, that's subjective, but this is this is my subjective experience, and that's just how I experience it, and you can't change that I experience it that way, you know. But I'm not sure if that rings true. <laughs> um, it rings true. It makes a lot of sense to me. I'm wondering about destiny and this idea of, well, I'm watching Narnia right now. Mm. Watching? Know, yeah, I'm watching it mm. because I recently got the Disney uh, subscription, which is pretty oh, cool. Yes. <laughs> Did you start watching The Bear? Ah, that's what it's called. <laughs> I was I was in my search thing and I looked up the chef and I was like, I'm sure it's called the chef. Well, he is a chef, so I understand. But you have to watch the bear. Also, okay. for everyone listening to this, watch the bear. It's watch great. The bear. Fine. Yeah. I'll watch the bear. Yeah. No, we've been binging Disney stuff. It's the best. People yeah. on this channel know. <laughs> and um, yeah, I've been watching Narnia. I mm -hmm. watched it today. And basically in the world of Narnia, everything is like, destined so you have the prophecy of those four kids and they go into the into the wardrobe and then everyone basically knows that they're destined to be like kings and queens mm -hmm. um but even when they're told that it's destiny still of course they have fear and they have like all these things well i don't know exactly what to ask because i think it's kind of a maybe a stupid question to ask if you believe in destiny but does it make sense if you do to still 
care. Oh, it's kind of like, let's Everything say, is... if everything is already determined, why care to make a difference? Because it's already determined in that Yeah, I'm sense. trying to crawl into the skin of um, Sam Harris Yeah. because I know he doesn't live a nihilistic life. No, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, well, so like I, I do have, a, let's say, um, I think... Uh, what do you call it? A steel man defense of this take. Because I actually heard it being articulated recently by Bernardo Castrup, who fundamentally deeps down is also deep down is also a determinist. So it's like it's 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 on his video, people can go check it out. Uh, I'll but link it's it below. also it's it's embedded in his works, especially on Schopenhauer, because Schopenhauer he has the famous dictum at some point, you know, uh you are uh, uh what is it like You are free to Free do to choose as you. what determines you. No, 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 no. That's, that's, that's not exactly that. It's like uh, you're not free to will what you will, but you're free to 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 do what you will. It's kind of like that sense, you know. Like you're so you you can uh, do, like I might be misquoting this, so I'm gonna like stop quoting here because maybe uh, You're going to get canceled after tonight. um... <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're done, man. Especially because I've been talking to Peter, who is like a. like a Schopenhauerian expert. So like he might be watching this and then Finished he'll career. say like, no, that's not the, that's not the quote. But, uh, but the point would be like, so, so it's embedded in um, his work on Schopenhauer. He has a whole book about it, like decoding Schopenhauer's metaphysics. And he also uh, wrote an essay like uh, free will doesn't exist. Of course it does just ask Schopenhauer. Uh, so it's kind of like this defense of free will, but then again, also, you know, like saying that it doesn't exist. Uh, and in that uh, video, I think he has a very articulate explanation of it. Um, he more or less says that, okay, like, obviously, like, that stuff with brain scans, you know, like, what the, the stuff that, that the Sam Harris's of the world are interested in, that's bullshit. That's not, so, that's not how you can know there is or isn't free will. We can go into that. I actually recently, like, I think after we talked, because, because one of our first conversations was about free will, but after we talked, I had another... Um, Uh, opportunity to uh, go see a lecture of that uh, individual at my uh, like or, or like w one of my colleagues who is very Yeah. passionate about this topic and he really dissected why you know like those are definitely not sufficient to conclude there isn't free will and actually he strongly believes that there is free will and like and also very strongly in the in the way in which we believe there to be free will uh, so it basically more or less the same as our intuitions so that's
you feeling the call to critically examine that is part of your determination. And in that sense, I do think there's something to be said for maybe like being a combined truth be between like uh, the libertarian, and I don't mean economic libertarian, I mean free will, libertarianism, conceptions of free will, and let's say these more sort of metaphysical determinist visions, which you can also find in Spinoza and what Verveke is, I think, also an advocate of, is that at some point, yes, you want to be determined, <laughs> you want to be influenced and determined by the true, the good, and the beautiful, you know? Um, and in that sense, like, there can still be a reconciliation. But, like, obviously can you, these... Can the, you choose to be influenced by the true and the good and the beautiful? And, like, and that's that's where it gets really different, difficult. And that's where I, I honestly don't know anymore. I have a strong intuition that in some point, in, in, in some ways you can. Um, and I think more or less that that colleague does as well. And I also do think that, like, one interesting... How should I say it? And this is also, by the way, something that Bernardo Castro admits to. It's like, one thing we definitely know is that the universe doesn't work in a clockwork kind of way. You know, like, so we thought that for a while. That's why you're like, oh, you know, so like everything is just Newtonian law. So therefore human beings must also just be cause and effect. And then it was like, oh, no, actually it doesn't work that way. But then, you know, you still have the, uh, the stress of saying like, well, but if it's just quantum stuff, like that seems all probability and random. So that also doesn't really sound like I'm in control. So maybe that's not that good either. But the point would at least be, you know, like, okay, whatever is possible, like whatever it would be, it wouldn't be simple, like cause and effect. Mm -hmm. So I don't know precisely, but I do think you can. So so it's something you have to, you have to act on. And, and I do think nonetheless, that's the way we will act in some ways. So why would we not not just believe that it does? Because it's kind of like, and this is really the Kantian position. <laughs> Kant really argues in a very influential way is you can never, uh, no one can ever uh, prove to you that you don't have free will. No, no, neither can they prove to you that you do. But we all we all can believe we do, and on the basis of that, it's rational to act according to it because no one can lay any proof against it. So why would you not believe in it? It's kind of like, you know, all the proof of like the Sam Harris, Harrison, uh, like brain scans, you know, like that's, yeah. I don't know, it's not so interesting. I think if it's a 50-50, I'll just believe in it. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and that that's how many people also treat, like, let's say, you know, uh, uh, that's that's what Kant does, by the way, as well. He says, like, you know, we can't prove that God exists, but, you know, he gives a moral argument for God and says, like, that's why you need to believe in God. And again, that's a really watered down uh, understanding of God, like he's still more or less a deist, and Kant was probably one of the big reasons why people ended up <laughs> secularizing. So I love how your mind works. Yeah, it's really fun. What do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> you say something, and then you realize, like, oh wait, wait, there's like yeah, exactly. four, four things that I could say against this. It's really yeah, exactly. And, yeah, and that's also like. Uh, that's also how, how how my teaching works. Like I'll say something and I'm like, wait, I should nuance this a little bit. The philosopher's uh, curse and blessing. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe. your gift as well. It makes maybe. you thorough. But go watch the Bernardo Custer video and there you see a really eloquent defense of this. Even though when he explains it that way, I'm like, okay, but no one is gonna understand this. You know, like so even though you can kind of follow what he's saying, or at least I can, I'm like no one can really get this, so therefore I don't think this is a tenable position that could ever ever be popularized. So I'm I'm not interested in it. It's kind I of love, like that way. I love Bernardo. <laughs> no, he's great. He's fantastic. Yeah. <sighs> yeah.
yeah can't never get enough of that guy but That's so good. and but i'm not sure if that rings true like to the destiny part and i also think there's like an interesting interplay there where sometimes you and this is like also speaks to the symbolic world kind of view of the world sometimes you both know that the pattern needs to play itself out and you at the same time know yes but how do you you know like conduct yourself with regards to that yeah and those are like two so so you both you're both like a little bit for instance either pessimistic because the pattern will go downhill you know or optimistic because you know that the pattern will eventually do that but uh so in that sense you're like a little bit deterministic you're like i i know like this is just this is just uh what do you call it like um a perennial pattern in stories right that it always happens this way so it will be bizarre if this would be the exception so in that sense you're like you believe in distant in destiny but at the same time you also have to think so how am i going to conduct myself towards that you know so yeah. it's both yeah i understand i think i'm a bit of both as well i can see patterns unfolding but i can also see the major impact of small skill mm. choice yeah and so yeah. i'll take that and i think it's also much more beautiful to believe in um, free will and in uh, some sort of destiny yeah 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 you have exactly. watched the kanye west documentary yeah on netflix he was destined to become kanye west yeah exactly yeah it seems <laughs> like that i sometimes think about this because i have a delusion that i could still become a professional football player sometimes when it's late at night and then still I've, yeah, I actually think I could. And I know it's delusional, oh. but I actually think I could. And I think I was thinking about it today. Like the belief that I have, I think if you have that, it can propel you so much further. Like there's this uh, hmm. kid that's coming up. I think he's going to be the best defender in the world. He's in England right now. He's Dutch. And uh, his teachers would always tell him like, do you know the statistics on, hmm. on becoming a professional football player? And he was like, yeah, yeah, but it's different. I believe I'm gonna do it. You know, is it like, is it Mick, Mickey Van der Ven or not? Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. It's like yeah. yeah, I I know this. I know this. I don't care. You know, like <laughs> such yeah. a stubborn little kid, but he knew. You know, like yeah, um, yeah I know. And and, and 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 this happens after like sometimes it's also different that for instance <laughs> people say like I kind of feel bad about saying this, but um, so one of the Dutch strikers is about Weghorst. Like he yeah. uh, and. Like people always say, like he's an example that you don't even need to be that good at, no. at football to still make it, because like he is insane endurance and insane motivation and insane passion. That like just on the basis of that, like he's not even that great a footballer, but no, like you know, like wrong. but he is he nonetheless makes teams better, you know. Yeah, he was so, like in an amateur club, yeah, so long ago, he willed himself up. So yeah. that that's what I'm saying. Like I think it's good to believe that you have the agency. Yeah, but it's also good to understand that there's certain patterns that are just gonna play itself out. By the way, yeah. I'm not gonna become a professional football player, so, <laughs> but I'm saying now for practical reasons. I don't want to be held yeah. to a contract. But it's, it's kind of like, by the <laughs> way, that, that that is interesting, right? Like because I remember like listening to you know, uh, I'm definitely not endorsing this man uh, like who I'm gonna bring up, uh, but I was listening to an interview with Andrew Tate. Uh, because I was like killed by no, association, baby. Yeah, yeah. Like there was, there was this, uh, no, no, no. This was interesting because like there was a psychologist who was interviewing him. So I was like, kind of like, okay, kind of interesting. Like how yeah. one of the world, world's most famous and 
arguably like who <laughs> has like one of the worst influences like on the world at the moment like what his psychology is like and at some point he like the psychologist is like you know have you ever considered that you might you know be traumatized you might be depressed and he's like he's like the point is even if that would be true I would not believe in it. He was like, just it was so interesting. He was like, I, I don't even care if it's true. Like, it, it's just not going to help me. So I'm not going to believe if I'm depressed. Like, even if someone diagnoses me and tells me, like, you're depressed, like, I'm not going to accept that. It's not true, you know? Like, it's kind of like, <laughs> and he's like, that's just not going to help me. By the way, I'm not saying this is the case. I just think it's interesting that he responded to it in that way, that he was like, you know, like, that's not the mindset you've got to have. Um, but yeah. then again, there is something... And I talked about this in my Mannheim talk. There's something Nietzschean, like dark Nietzschean about the self-willing aspect, you know, like yeah. you also, as we started this video with the need for submission, that's kind of like, you need to balance those two, right? Like, yeah. It's like a, yeah, I think it's definitely a dark side of me for sure. That I... No, 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 no. That's yeah. not what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's a dark side of you. No, I'm saying I think it so, needs though. to be. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, but I understand what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I understand what you're saying. This the self-willing aspect. There's a dark side to the coin for sure. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I don't think it's a good thing for me. But um, I just don't think it's what I'm supposed to be doing. I don't think I'll make a very big impact. Hmm. But yeah, okay, that's good. Spoke about destiny. I think that um, the Narnia movies. I'm watching them now again, mm. and I think that. It's almost too explicitly Christian for me to watch now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I've been used to like spotting the Christian everywhere, and now at this yeah. point, when the Christian occurs, mm. my fiance will look at me like, "Don't do it! Don't do it!" <laughs> oh, okay, I see. I'll I see. point it out, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets resurrected, and it's like so obvious. Yeah, but it, that's the thing. It, it, yeah, exactly. It's so obvious, <laughs> especially like so. C.S. Lewis is obviously fantastic, uh, but like in those stories, it is very obvious. Uh, it's by the way, like I I once heard this uh, anecdote on Paul Vanderclay's uh, channel that he he said that there was at some point a little girl who came up to C.S. Lewis and was like, oh you know, Mister Mister Lewis, I'm 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 a little bit insecure because I actually noticed that I I love Aslan more than Jesus, you know, <laughs> and then and then C.S. Lewis said, just keep going, that's fine, you know, that's all right. And that's like, obviously, for some people, that was sort of strange. Like, no, you have to love Jesus more than Aslan. But like, obviously, he felt that what that girl was expressing is that actually she was seeing the spirit of Jesus in Aslan, as opposed to the image of Jesus she had received from her environment. Yeah, you know? of course. And maybe, you know, so that's okay. Like, that will probably bring you close to Jesus in some way. So that I, I thought that was an interesting anecdote. That makes sense. It reminds me of this idea that, well, the Bible is very ancient for us mm. those stories in many ways take place in contexts that are foreign to us mm. when i would have read the new testament or would have heard about the new testament as a second century person i would have been much more inclined to believe that story and that story would have a much more potent effect on me then whereas now it's taking me like 19 years to get over mental hurdles to kind of yeah, like accept parts of the story. And so mm -hmm. Narnia makes that more accessible for children, especially. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And um, I can, by the way, like there's, 
I was also thinking like there's a difference. Like it's sort of in some ways Lord of the Rings is less obvious because yes, like they it's more place implicit. Yeah, exactly. And and also like they place aspect of the Christian story and in different individuals throughout, you know, like so sometimes it's like, oh, it's like that story arc and then it's that story arc and that story arc and it's yeah. like so it's not Aslan <laughs> as it's Jesus. Not like Gandalf like, is Jesus or anything. Well, like but he is in some ways and at he some points. He does but get not, resurrected. Yeah, exactly. Like exact that's that's a very specifically Christian trope. But it's not like, oh, so now the story is all centered on Aslan and he is Jesus and it's all about him. And it's like, well no, maybe also a little bit Aragorn and maybe then also obviously Frodo and then like you have all those things that uh, matter. Oh. Yeah. And like I think the there was another thing that you mentioned just now before this, before I went about this. I'm not sure. Destiny. No, 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 no. It, it, it was about Narnia. Like after you just said, said, said that it was. I said that obvious. Narnia does such a good job of. Oh, yeah. Exactly. What? No, my, my, my point is, like you said, like it makes it accessible to the young children. And like I can also really recommend for those people uh, unfamiliar with him is to watch like a documentary about uh fred rogers like won't you be my neighbor that's what the show was called that he used to be on but it's also what the documentary is called put it in the description go on or mr rogers neighborhood but he was uh so he's also very interesting because he it was really like when television started uh in america and that he knew like okay so you know what is this actually how does this work? And then at some point they started making little kids shows. Like that was new. Like they'd never make kids shows before. And he noticed that, you know, the kids shows were all like, you know, it was clowns and it was lots of noise. And it was just like, you know, like it was really, I don't know, like it obviously, it caught the children's attention, but not in a way that spoke to them, just kind of like, you know, the dopamine kind of way, almost like in the same way that you could say some of them are addicted to their phones today. We all are, but you know, that's an aside. Um, and he just thought like, you know, I want to make a show, but I just want to like have a genuine connection with the children, you know, like, mm -hmm. and that's, so he started doing that. And actually the interesting thing is he is actually a priest, but he doesn't bring any of that, or at least not explicitly, you know, into the show. Um, but so he has the most, let's say Christian agapic way of talking to these children. So it's super touching to see. He's almost like a saint. That yeah. when you look at him, it's like, whoa, it's like he's he's shining almost. Uh, like, not literally, but you know what I mean. Uh, and But it's also in that same way that it has this accessible, like, love that he can just genuinely show. And it's also like, you know, for me, I think that's such a valuable side of Christianity that uh, is maybe sometimes, like, undershadowed us a little bit in, in the self-help corner of the, of, of this little corner <laughs> that is tech you know it's about taking responsibility and and it's just you know be a man and toughen up and those things are all good in proper context but there's something about this love that is so direct which is just something different yeah so, yeah did you uh well first of all i'm going to apologize for talking about this movie again but i've had um this is my third talk in the last like 24 hours so it's close to mm -hmm. me yeah. Um, did you watch the Guardians of the Galaxy, the third one? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So I had another house moving castle moment. I was basically like bawling my eyes out again mm. um, for like the longest time. Because of what happened to uh, Rocket? Uncontrollably. Well, yes, but the whole the whole story really, and then the 
the last like 30 minutes. Hmm. Um, you will hear about it because tonight my episode goes live with Scott where we discuss hmm. it's not this specific movie, but we speak about, about Miyazaki and why I think it works on me the way it works on me. Yeah. Um, but I was pretty... I should mention, by the way, to the people viewing, I went to see the new Miyazaki movie with this guy and he just fell asleep in the theater. To be fair, Jonathan Peugeot did the same. So <laughs> I am completely judgment. I also listened I listened to uh, like um, a, a bunch of reviewers talk about the movie. Uh, uh, not the movie specifically, but, but about Hayao Miyazaki's movie and what they think about it. And they all loved it. And But... Two of them, so like that was two of the four of them were like, yeah, but I do always fall asleep during them. But they completely love the movies, but they're, yeah, but for some reason I do tend to fall asleep when watching them. So okay. it's kind of interesting that it's a common thing that happens. Yeah, I don't know, because it was both me and my fiance, we both fell asleep. So, and we both <laughs> love Miyazaki movies. Like we, we watch all of them. So hmm. I'm not sure there what's going on. But basically, for those who don't know, this Guardians of the Galaxy is like a Marvel trilogy. So it's very much very popular movies um, mm -hmm. if you're familiar with the Avengers oh. and um, the third one is just completely anti this technology like the Neuralink type of movement of mm -hmm. you know trying to live forever and all these things and so explicitly like and the guy's named evolution and like there's yeah. there's quotes in there like near the end the quote was like um this woman who is with the evil villain makes a God comment, like for the love of God or something. And he's like, mm -hmm. there is no God. So I had to step in. Like, it's such oh, a, yeah. Yeah. you know, exactly. it's, <laughs> yeah. And I'm, is that like a shift in pop culture that's happening? Like I'm seeing so, so strongly this motif. And I think it was really well done where it was like, I thought he was a better villain than, um, hmm. than Thanos, for example, in the Avengers interesting yeah um super convincing and like yeah i was just surprised by it like is this is this something that's happening or am i am i like hmm. surrounding myself more with people that are more religiously inclined that i'm seeing it more but i feel like the no no, no. yeah swinging a lot about all of these questions yeah I, I don't think it's a complete swing i think at the moment the pop culture just seems confused and uh i think and it's a little bit like dreams <laughs> that's like sometimes you have a dream and it hits and then other times you have like oh okay that just was kind of random uh and what it's also unlike dreams because for a while you could say that they definitely try to um yeah i don't know focus on certain storylines over others um such as like female empowerment became very important uh in the superhero movies for a long time and still is like obviously with the marvels this year um, but the problem with that specifically, uh, not that there's an inherent problem with it, but besides like, let's say, you know, like everything that's talked about in terms of femininity and masculinity and symbolism is also just the bare fact that Marvel has a mostly mask male audience. Uh, so they don't mm -hmm. particularly care about that, which is also why I, I found it interesting that when the Barbie movie came out and there were so many people like, uh, seeing it that actually some guys were like, okay, we hate it, <laughs> but Maybe it's okay because it's not made for us anyways. Like this is genuinely like yeah. more for, 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 for women and not all guys hate it, by the way. So some guys really did like it. Um, but I think there's something to be said for that. And I do think that the many of the superhero genres or the blockbuster genres are realizing like actually we're just losing money and uh, like... <laughs> 
so so they feel I, I do think they feel a little bit more creative freedom and or creative liberty to um just explore different storylines and not just you know the ones that we want to hammer down your throat and then you get more natural naturally occurring storylines that actually fit you know what people think about nowadays and there you're totally right that actually yeah deep down people are concerned about you know that maybe the cure is worse than the disease when it comes to uh like uh what is it like a transhumanist kind yeah. of takeover yeah yeah but wow what a beautiful story i think that um i was saying all, i thought all the characters had like a transformational process like it hit me so hard because near the end you see that for all of the characters even if you haven't watched the movie at all um all of the characters they get to realize what they're supposed to be doing now like they they're listening to the mm. their moral compass and ugh, it just comes together so beautifully i yeah and the music is so awesome they play mm -hmm. with the music super well yeah yeah I, like to be fair like I, I i saw it like just after it came out so like it's been a while but yeah. i do remember it being i think like maybe my favorite guardians of the galaxy movie maybe the first one i prefer but i'm not sure but it's definitely like if you look at just the, the output of the last few years in terms of marvel movies like i kind of stopped caring and this was just a nice surprise that i was like oh yeah. this is actually really cozy again um so yeah we definitely enjoyed that it was really yeah really and nice. it wasn't milked out or anything like no they could have gone the easy route of like getting the main guy together with uh mm -hmm. the girl again anyway i don't want to go too specific because people won't won't know yeah. but uh, yeah and, and and i would also like um there i'm not sure if you if you've seen the logi the loki series yeah i watched i think a season of that i don't know if okay it's going on yeah, so like, so they just f uh, finished the second season, and I'm watching it now. It's quite boring, I have to admit, but apparently towards the end it gets better, as they always do, which kind of sucks. But anyways, like that's a, a different concern. But the first one is also very interesting. Like even to the point that uh, Jonathan Peugeot made a video about it because it has similar. Like it has all these elements that are actually super toxic, you know, in the show. So it's not like a perfect show. It actually has lots of flaws and toxic in the sense that literally it's about you know, first of all, it goes on with um, something that is being complained rightfully now about for longer, which is like, it's again, like a multiverse kind of story, which yeah. people are kind of, are getting kind of sick of. Uh, and I do understand that. Um, but also that it's like, it's either about total chaos or it's about absolute control. So it's kind of like this almost like cosmic split. And the final episode of that first season, so like, I'm not going to say what happens at the storyline, but I am going to say what, like, what takes place what without... Yeah, okay. So, spo spoiler alert, I guess, for some people who haven't watched it. Uh, but there... But you see that they go up to the realm of the of he who remains, the individual, and he's holding an apple. And it's kind of like, you know, it's like Adam and Eve in the garden, and they see the snake holding an apple, and, and he's seducing them. And then, you know the like what then happens is very interesting so like so so you so there's that's that's super interesting like that marvel like explicitly chose to give him the apple kind of in that's like that yeah. they like okay this is just a biblical motif but it wasn't so explicit that it was obvious you know it was kind of like okay why would he be holding an apple you know yeah. like it's so it's so so that also goes to show that yeah deep down these christian storylines still uh matter for these shows yeah for sure so I don't have that long left, but I wanted to quickly discuss the Jordan Hall thing. So, oh, yeah. 
I'm not those... sure if we can quickly discuss that. Maybe we should also discuss it with Stefan. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just give a quick recap of it. So Jordan Hall has long been on the side of the religion that's not a religion, if I'm not mistaken. He's had a lot of conversations with 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 John Favakey. Mm-hmm. And they always have like super <laughs> high level discussions with so much um what you call it lingo like vocabulary yeah, 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 beyond, yeah. beyond exactly. most people like you have to listen to those conversations multiple times if you want to yeah, really the get jargon it. yeah the jargon yeah that's exactly what it is and um out of the blue he like converted to christianity and like mm-hmm. he, he said in a talk that if you would have asked him a year ago what was the chance of this happening it's like zero percent mm-hmm. um that's how he always talks. Like he, he always talks about, you know, he's gonna predict like, you know, what happens next. It's just like collapse of the dollar, I think at this point, 70%. You know, like so he always yeah, yeah. like, you know, the this was zero percent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a great um respect for for Jordan and for John, and they mm-hmm. uh, messaged John about it as well. Yeah. And um, they're gonna have some conversations about it, he told me. But do you think that this happening without going too deep into it? is a sign of a larger movement that you think people are largely going to go back to the legacy religions as it's called do you see that this is a hit to the religion that's not a religion or not so much like what do you personally make of this like i'm very curious about you specifically because i know you've been following this all this for for years now so well for for me for me it's really it's part of a pattern right like so you have so this year no let's say a couple few months because the year only just started a couple notable things happened in this little corner you know uh one of them would be ayan hirsi ali converted Mm -hmm. to christianity um which first seemed purely civilizational but ended up if you look at the interview was a little bit more authentic that like uh she actually said like she went to a therapist you know like and couldn't find anything and then uh, and then realize that's kind of what she's been searching for. So that's the first thing. And the second thing is Alex O'Connor, like so the channel Cosmic Skeptic, talking to um, Dawkins, John Favakey, and Peugeot in about like like a span of a month or so. So first to John Favakey, then I think to Dawkins, then to Peugeot, I believe. Um, or at least that's how he, he uh, ended up uploading it. And in John Fake, you could already see that, you know, like he had this openness to just talk about, okay, you know, maybe we should be open to more ways of knowing than just indeed like all these stupid arguments that we're having back and forth. Uh, And then with Dawkins, it was very clear that he was challenging Dawkins hardcore, uh, which is like, it's it's almost like a, a developmental moment for him because like there's this video of like like I don't know like maybe ten years ago when he yeah, was yeah. at this Dawkins event and he asked like would you consider yourself a philosopher and obviously now he he'd know how to answer that because because the answer is definitely not like Dawkins is like 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 we could all respect Dawkins as a scientist but as a philosopher he's simply like he's unimpressive uh like to put it mildly um so that's interesting that he he really knew how to challenge Dawkins in a way that many Christians would for instance find a, a, admirable. So you can see, okay, in the new atheist camp, there's this weird development already. So both on the Ayan Ali and Alex O'Connor. And then you have 
Jordan Hall, who admitted in the start of the conversation, like already at the age of eight or nine, he realized that he would definitely not become an atheist. Like it was like that. That's not not a not a cognitive possibility for me. Like he says, like no, that 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 that's so incoherent. I I I I could not not uh yeah I don't know live in a way in uh, in which I would believe in that stance. Uh, yeah. So he is not the new atheist kind of conversion to that, or and I'm not saying Alex O'Connor converted. I'm just saying he's shifting. Um, and nonetheless, there seems to be something that is perhaps far more important about it because he is an a no affiliation type of person, you know, yeah. like none, one of the nuns, and he's looking like what is the proper affiliation. So, and that is interesting because it's it suggests that people who are genuinely seeking. And genuinely open to like several options almost like if i dare call it that you know um at least in the western case because he is a westerner and he also said that like i'm a westerner so this rings true to me probably a little bit more than things from other cultures so we always have to keep that in mind but that he also uh ended up yeah i don't know transforming himself in in a way that is full-on christian and you can definitely hear that in the second half of the conversation that it's not just like you know, civilizational Christianity, like this is important for civilization, but actually like, no, this rings true. Like he full on believes in it, uh, which is very interesting. And that does seem to suggest there is a kind of shift, which I nonetheless do believe can coexist with whatever John is working on, because again, he's creating a Silk Road and he's doing so very well. He's not indeed like actually creating like a new religion because it's not a religion, but it is a religion. <laughs> But it's not a religion. Yeah. Uh, but he is religious. Get... Yeah, exactly. He is religious. He's religious. That that that's a good point. Um. So I don't know. Like I, I'm curious to hear your stance on it. But I do think it's it seems to be a very important moment to this look or not to say like oh so now everyone is gonna follow because I could definitely like he also mentioned that right like that the circumstance could have been slightly different and it maybe wouldn't have ended up happening this way but it did. Yeah. Yeah. I think that situation remains similar, that the current state of Christianity is pretty poor um, in many ways. And to build that back up takes a long time. Like it's one thing of having a, some people that are more intellectually inclined coming to these realizations, civilizational Christianity, like you say, and others who are more like into the yeah intuitive side of it to come back but building that back up in the west i think it's mm -hmm. going to be a big challenge so i think it will definitely take a lot of time but yeah, i do yeah. see it going toward that again yeah uh, more so so I, I do think that like Peugeot and van der Klei are on the right track in thinking that this is going to be for the center and i think for the margins is more like the religion that's not a religion exactly yeah and i think that's also because the practices that John is um, trying to popularize, extremely effective, but also difficult, I think, mm -hmm. because they're not in integrated into communities and into society. Yeah, he's trying to do that to his credit, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> realistically, like for, for an average Joe person, like I really yeah. see how, how effective they are and I really admire it. And I think- I John's really main problem is he doesn't have story or songs. You know, like those. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a trivial problem that yeah. because I've been discussing story and song 
on some podcasts recently and we're just seeing how by thinking about it realizing that it's essential like it's primal it's how we it's how we basically translate or um yeah how we transport knowledge and wisdom to next generations for example like Mm -hmm. it was one of the questions that i regretted at not asking john it's that i was thinking about these practices and comparing them to religious practices and i don't see them developing as organically as the religious practices have done um, mm. in a sense that these practices that have survived after all these years, they've survived for a reason, just like why we have a Christmas tree as a symbol, you know, <laughs> like, like yeah. things like you don't know until you know, and that takes so long. Yeah. But I mean, to, to you're, you're totally right. But to his credits, like he is introducing practices that have gone back centuries, you know, like, so he's not saying, I've just came up with this. I mean, maybe the dialectic into dialogos kind of uh, one is closest to that. But for yeah. instance, like yes, Lexio Divina, you know, it goes back to Middle Ages. So, yeah, yeah, true, true, true. Uh, it's true, but I'm afraid maybe. But what I fear is that I don't know if there's a lot of expectations around that, hmm. because I'm afraid that that might become a disappointment. Whereas I think the proper expectation should be that it that it will be for the people that for whom the legacy religions are absolutely untenable. Mm. Let's say, yeah, I do yeah. think there are quite some people like that, but I think they're less than we might think. Yeah, and it's also like so. For instance, uh, I uh, as you as you know, like I'm 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 not an active uh, churchgoer, and right now I can kind of see the appeal of both really strongly, right? Like that I can also I I because I mostly speak to secular students. Uh, I have mostly secular friends. So I also see the the value of like, whoa, I, I get to use John's language, you know, and John's mm. psychotechnologies <laughs> uh, with those people. And, and otherwise I couldn't because it would just be scaring them off, you know, like, so I'm also happy to do that and to uh, invest my time in that. But I de- definitely see like, okay, yes, but who are my friends? Oh, you know, they're the intellectual elites. Who are the students? They're the intellectual elites. It's like, yeah, I don't see it happening that often with people <laughs> who are not those. I'm not saying it can't happen, but I just haven't seen it that often, you know? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm curious. I, I like The honest answer is I have no idea. But mm-hmm. um, it is interesting to see this shift and to see how quickly it all, it all is going. Um, I remember just yesterday, like Alex O'Connor, funny he's in conversation with Jonathan Peugeot because I've heard him like, this video did deconstructing Jordan Peterson's belief on God or something. And yeah. I remember you liked the video because you thought that he's like quite well argued and everything. And I remember being super frustrated about it because I thought yeah. he was missing the point. So yeah, he was, he was obviously. Yes. And like the comments were so supportive of him and he spoke about Jonathan. Yeah, but that's Pedro, because like, of his channel. Yeah. yeah, I know. I know. But it was just like, yeah. oh, I was just yeah. cringing so hard. And then he was like, yeah. And there's this, there's this Jonathan Peugeot who who seems to be like Jordan's oracle or whatever. Like yeah. it's just yeah, I know. And, uh, and but the thing is, talking. like he he he's also uh, a Brit, you know. Like he is a a witty Brit. Like it's kind of in the same way that you know. Uh, was Murray. Yeah, well, for instance, like he's he's I think he's a good example. Or Stephen Fry. Like it's yeah. just the the witty British humor that is also like. So, so I, I'm, I'm okay with that. And I do think that if you look, the reason also I think why I shared that at the time was also to say like, you know, you could see kind of a development in Alex 
thoughts where at some point he also started criticizing his old videos because it was like, I was actually so full of shit. Like I actually didn't know what I was talking about. I yeah. thought I was successfully, you know, rejecting this argument, but I now see the argument is like way more complex. So I've kind of seen that development and I thought this, this was part of that development. And now you definitely, now you definitely see that because now you see like literally, as you just said, like he's talking to the people, who, to the person who he was criticizing in that video. Yeah. Um, and I even get like a vague sense that, you know, him talking to Michaela Peterson, I do think Alex wants to talk to Jordan Peterson, you know, like I, I, I do get that sense, but he doesn't want to, you know, like, I don't know, do it too quickly. Like he wants to get there organically. So he's yeah, talking yeah. to, but anyways, that's. I'm uh, excited to see it happen. Yeah. I think it's the perfect next step because I mean, Jordan with Sam, it, it seems more like, um, it's not really a conversation they're having anymore. At least hmm. it that, that that's that's like of course there's oh, some yeah. developments like it's going better a bit, but I just feel like I don't think Sam is able to listen anymore very well. Mm -hmm. Um because he's very stuck in his own ideas, whereas I think Alex is showing the willingness to to shift. And oh. I like him actually. I think exactly. he's he's a good guy. I would also say like that what Sam Harris shared was that he is, um, he so he quit Twitter, <laughs> which is which is a good thing. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but uh, what that what happened then was that he says like, okay, so now I only get positive feedback. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like that. I was like, there's no I risk in that. At I thought all. that was so funny. Like he was like, yeah, now I just have the app, and it's just overwhelmingly positive. And to be fair, like Peterson has also been doing this. Like he says, like, well, the tour is just very positive, and all these people are very positive. And just like you said, Alex O'Connor's audience, like they're very positive. It's like, yes, that's what audience capture is. That's literally like yeah. why it's such a danger and why you always need to check yourself and Before keep talking to yourself. people in the yeah, exactly. Uh, keep talking to people of other traditions. And yes, I mean, I think Sam can like hold his own on a rhetorical level, but not so much on a substantial level, if you ask me. Yeah, I do love him. Uh, anyway, I'm coming toward the end of my time. Yeah, me too. But uh, <laughs> it's been a pleasure to talk again. I'm excited to get Stefan in there. I yeah, messaged him, so we'll we'll try to get him in. Uh, I'm sure he'll good. listen. But uh, this is only airing like two or three weeks from now. So that's fine. That's fine. Um, Okay. Anyway, I'll see you in like two weeks, hopefully. And sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you for the for the invite. I appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. So uh, thank you. Yeah, nice, sir. You're gonna be okay these weeks, starting back up. Your semester, yes. or what? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Gonna it's be gonna busy. be the 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 third block now of the year. So or the second semester, yeah. in whatever way you want to look at it. So it's gonna be fun. Continental philosophy. So. Uh, uh, and also political and social philosophy. So we're gonna we're gonna discuss everything from libertarians to Marxists to post-colonial thinkers to feminists to existentialism to phenomenology. So uh, it's gonna be fun. Awesome, man. Enjoy. Yeah. I'll see you soon. Yes. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.